It was not that long ago that it felt like the Tennessee Titans season was hanging in the balance. I mean, practically circling the drain after losing three or four games and trailing the Ravens by double digits in the second half. At that point, you lose that game, they're dead on arrival. Except they didn't lose that game. They completely flipped that game. And in so doing, it looks like they may have completely flipped their entire season. They went out and they hammered the Colts in Indy. They put 45 on the Colts. And they did it exactly the way you would expect with Derrick Henry as a battering ram. So that was the first of three touchdowns in the first half. Let me repeat that. Derrick Henry went into Indy. And he smashed the Colts up for three TDs and 140 yards in the first half. What the hell is that? Hey, Stone on Air. If you are not listening to Brian Stone, who has been a fixture in Chattanooga for years, you better be, or I'm going to ask you personally why you're not. I'm so happy I could die. They're like, Brian! Yeah, (laughs) Brian! Yes, my name is Brian! Finally, it's cool to be a Chattanoogan. Finally, it's cool to embrace this city. When some of us have been saying this for 25 years. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. Stone on air. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone on Air podcast. Been pretty consistent the last several weeks. It's available for download. Every Wednesday is the goal, your midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga and a little regionally outside the area. Every now and again, it's seen Atlanta or Nashville, Murfreesboro, Knoxville pop up. I know a few of you are out there. Primarily a Chattanooga podcast for Chattanoogans that sometimes focuses on the city and stories here around the surrounding area and sometimes not at all, not even a little bit. It just depends. As I always say, hey, Brian, what's your podcast about? It is about whatever I want it to be about, which is a dangerous subject matter to try to gather a large audience. But that's what I enjoy doing. And as I mentioned, it is only supposed for profit. It's not really for profit at this point. There's a little cross-pollination with the radio show that makes the two of them together seem profitable a little bit here and there. I do a radio show, if you are new to the show, which is highly unlikely, uh, here in chat uh, on Nougat Radio 92.7, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, only from 10 until 11. Do a little bit of work on the with Jeff Styles and his show, Jen, uh, Russell, Jason, if you know, you know, if you don't. Uh, it would appreciate you listening to it. Uh, the chances are you won't be able to pick it up. The signal's not all that big. But anyway, that's what I do on a week-to-week basis, and that's where we are here in the final month of the year 2020. It's been so long, such a long, long year, but it really has flown right on by, going right with my regular saying of time flies and ain't got a damn thing to do with whether you're having any fun or not. I will jump ahead here and go ahead. I've got it further down in my notes, but I will preview the show now and then I'll get I got a I got a handful of things that I uh I want to get to. In the um final segment of the show, but well the last two segments are all going to be about television shows and movies that I've watched in the last few days. In the final segment, I watched the movie called The Founder. Michael Keaton stars as Ray Kroc, the um Uh, not the founder of McDonald's, but the one who created the global brand out of it. And there's some interesting takeaways I had from it. McDonald's is a fascinating story that I already knew a little bit about, um, but I'll I'll lay all that out in the final segment of the show. In the middle segment, there is a a, a six-part miniseries on CNBC, one of my new favorite channels of the last, this year, really. I watch a ton of CNBC. And um, this is, uh, what is it called? Damn it. There it is. Empires of New York when greed was good. And the first two installments of that rolled out this past Sunday. It is about the the rise out of the 1970s ashes of, of New York. And overall, the 1980s from an economic standpoint has always fascinated me. And it got me thinking a lot about that as well. So I'll dive into that into the second segment of the show. First, we'll start off here. Yeah, it's supposed to be this week. We're supposed to be just a couple of days away from the best day of the year. 
Not the best weekend of the year. Not the best week of the year. Not the best overall event or party or gathering or anything other than just the one single best 24-hour days of the year. Very few will disagree with me on this statement that the best day of the year is usually falls on the first Saturday of December and Maine times 24. That would be this Saturday if we were any kind of regular real world that we're used to. Started around, I'm only going on memory, I'm thinking around 07. Might have been 05, 06, 07, somewhere in there. And I remember going down the first few years and just not knowing what I was looking at. Like, just not sure what this is. Of course, Main Street is right down the street from my day job of the last you know 18 years. And now I'm out in Ottawa hell, Fed, the FedEx 500, where we're located right next to the FedEx uh, distribution center. And there's quite literally 500 FedEx trucks coming and going all day long. Just a soulless, empty, empty existence of a place to work. But it used to be a wonderful, fun, vibrant place to work at the corner of Broad Street and Main. And the first few years, I just didn't know what I was looking at. The area was not revitalized all that much yet. And at the turn of the uh, decade into the, uh, to the teens, if you will, of the 21st century, things started to pick up. Things started to get nicer and nicer and nicer. And over the course of that decade, every year, the main times 24 uh, buzz started to build. The aura started to become a, a real thing. It, it became a, a, what do they call it, uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. You couldn't not go. You had to somehow engage in the main times 24 uh, party. And it was just not, it was not just a party. It was a lifestyle, and I'm talking it in past tense like it's never going to be here again, so I don't mean to do that, but it, it is a, it's a place where the who's who of any kind of social circles would attend, and then it stretched out to families that wanted to come down for the parade, and it cross-pollinated amongst races and uh, genders and uh, household economic statuses. It just turned into an amazing day even when it had crappy weather like we had last year. A lot of rain. I don't remember if it was that cold. I think it was, but not terrible. But the rain washed out the uh, chili competition, which is one of the most fun uh, events that they have, from my vantage point anyway. But the rain got us last year. But two years ago, oh, my goodness, what an amazing uh, day that was with gorgeous, bright, soaking in sunshine, crisp, cool air. And it's just it's just great. It's it's uh, it's a damn shame. Another victim of the 2020 pandemic that we are all having to deal with. And because it was in a memory on Snapchat, it was two years ago exactly as I'm recording this. December 1st, main times 24. I was at the Flying Squirrel upstairs and it was like 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so just getting started. Might have had the slightest of a buzz, but not intoxicated heavily in any way. I had a bottle of Jim Beam in my pocket, and I leaned up against that kind of wiring kind of uh, overhang they have there that you can you can lean up against, and my jacket pocket slipped through that, that wire kind of uh, barrier, and the Jim Beam bottle fell out of my pocket, fell down to the downstairs, and smashed onto the bar, landing about two feet away from a uh, one of my best friends in the world, Brad Steiner. And luckily, it was a plastic bottle, and it didn't bust open, and the most disastrous uh, result didn't happen, but it was still terribly embarrassing. Brad was instrumental in helping me from not being kicked out. I voluntarily left shortly after. I apologized up and down. They did come up and bring like, hey, what the hell's going on up here? I I I sunk to the floor and laid down and covered my my hands over my head and thought, what in the hell did I just do? Oh no. And later I um, I apologized profusely at well at the time and then later online through their 
uh, Facebooks and Twitters, and all was well that ended well, but man, I was humiliated by that, and I'm not embarrassed by much. And that was, I wasn't spiking drinks while I was in there. We were just making stops all day, and I wanted to have a little, you know, you know, a little sip here, a little sip there, uh, pass that thing around a little bit throughout the day. But that was, uh, at the end, disaster averted, but boy, that, that's what I call the incident, the main times 24 incident. I've got, let's see, three, pieces, no, four pieces of audio to play for you today. I'll get to you to those here in just a couple of minutes. I'm already running out of time quick here. I'm, this is another one of those planning for a radio show tomorrow, but recording a podcast tonight, and some of the information or the content that I'm going to be distributing will be the same on both, but not all of them, and I get them a little bit mixed up here and there. Let's see, uh, Hamilton County Schools are going back to, I guess, phase one of what they call, what, hybrid learning, I guess. This is from the uh, Times Free Press. Hamilton County Schools have announced that all grades K-12 through will transition back to hybrid learning scheduled for at least two weeks because of COVID. A phase two learning schedule will be adopted for December 7th through 18th which means students will be physically in class two days a week and online for the other three. According to the district, the shift back to phase two will be the first total countywide COVID-19-related change since phase three was uh, was put into motion in uh, in August. And I guess just like I do with everything, uh, th- th- so much of this seems so arbitrary. Why Why two weeks? What what's what's fourteen days? I mean, I understand that's a quarantine time. They can get the school cleaned up and all that, but wouldn't it be more based on on whether we get cases going up or down? Seems like that would be a a, a logical way to look at it, or maybe it is just to just to clean the school and give it a good full fourteen days. I don't know. I I all I know is we've got so much collateral damage from this pandemic that it is it's making my head spin around we we, we are going to have a whole generation of kids that don't know how to do or understand anything all they do is play on tiktok every minute of their lives and who knows what kind of garbage they're getting out of that they're not learning anything we're going to have kids that have basically been removed from school for a solid year here very shortly and depending on where 2021 goes no reason to start making predictions but it could be significantly longer than that. I mean, kids cannot be just left to their own devices. They can't. They have to be in a structured uh, environment to have any any luck that these that these numb nuts might actually absorb some information and actually learn something. And in this environment, they're not learning anything. Um, what else real quick before I get to the audio? I'll do this here for a few minutes and then I'll, I'll, I'll scrap the other stuff for another time. Um, I have finally come around to paying for content online because I finally figured out, or I understand now that the distribution model for pay content is actually pretty damn good. It, it, it really is. Um, I'm still having. I'm still going to struggle for the most part of paying you for something if you don't tangibly put something in my hands. So, like buying a newspaper uh, subscription and not actually having access to the paper being put in my hand, I'm still going to always struggle with. So, I'm not sure what I have or haven't talked about on this podcast. So, you might have heard of some of this before, but I know you haven't heard all of it because I just came to the realization this past week. I now pay for the Wall Street Journal. It's an excellent newspaper. I bought it for two months for a dollar thinking, oh, I'll make sure and cancel it. Of course, I didn't cancel it, and now I've got charged for the first month. I think it's like 15 bucks. But I really, really like the content that it delivers, and I I think I'm going to keep paying for it. Um, the other day, I realized I saw a, a Black Friday deal for the Rolling, Rolling Stone magazine. I had the Rolling Stone magazine delivered to my house for 10 minimum, 10 years, maybe closer to 15, and I just miss it. I, I miss it. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm buying it again, even though it's more than it even used to be. I I just don't care. I miss out on a lot of pop culture, uh, music reviews, album reviews, concert reviews that I used to get all the time with Rolling Stone. So I decided to buy it, which gives me the full online access. And recently, I've been given the login from the radio stations, Times Free Press here locally, online edition. 
and they all share one thing in common. They're very, very well done through the pay channels. I always would say, I, well, I don't, I'm not going to get pay for access to your crappy website that just has the the standard here, click here, here's this, here's a list of this, check this out. I need a newspaper that pops. I need color. I need headlines. I need to see the paper and the magazine as it is presented traditionally. And I just had no idea. The Times Free Press does that. You can go through and see, actually look at the paper and then print off each sheet. The Rolling Stone magazine does that very well. I, I'll get the, the magazine in my mailbox here in the next day or two probably, but I've already gone through most of it through the online section, which you can do the same thing. And I, you know, maybe some of you are saying, well, no shit, Brian, you didn't know that? No, <laughs> I didn't know that. And so the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, and Times Free Press are all back in my daily life. And that makes me happy. And it gives me more content because they all in their own different special but sometimes similar way deliver unique content that I wouldn't get anywhere else because I need that traditional hey look at me read this check this out you want to read this you want to be engaged and a crappy normal just news site doesn't do that it doesn't do that for me so I'm very happy to have that back in my life all right audio time how about it Okay, so the front end um, of the show was, uh, surprisingly enough, fun to see getting some national love for the Titans from Jim Rome, and uh, they're doing quite well, much better than I expected, 8-3 and three now, so that's exciting. But I want to hate on their play-by-play man here real quick, who I have always been a very big fan of. I've met him several times. I've talked to him on the phone several times. He's a very good broadcaster. He's a very predictable broadcaster, but he's very good at what he does. He's very kind. He's very easy to work with. But I just, after an amazing catch the other day in the game by uh, A.J. Brown, and then I, I listen to the post game a lot, and I'll grab the uh, the game audio sometimes, and I just, I've, I've known this for years, but since I don't work at that crappy station anymore, I don't hear it as much because I don't listen to it almost ever, and I'm so tired of the way he calls games on breakaway plays for touchdowns. This is a 70-yard touchdown pass to A.J. Brown this past weekend. Blitz coming. Tannehill firing. Pass caught. Brown, 45-50, 45-40, 35-30, 25-20, 15-10, 5, end zone. Ladies and gentlemen, Arthur Juan Brown, 70 yards. Touchdown, Titans! Yeah, I'm even getting a little tired of his screaming of touchdown Titans, especially when he does not in any way describe the play. He's just saying numbers down the field, giving me no context to what is actually happening on the play. Blitz coming. Tannehill firing. Pass caught. Brown, 45-50, 45-40, 35-30, 25-20, 15-10, 5-0. End zone. Ladies and gentlemen. It's so annoying, man. You Brown think somebody would say, hey, Mike, can you at least try to color the game a little bit here and let the the listeners know what's happening rather than 25, 20, 25, 30, 45, 50, 55, 60. What are you doing, man? Come on. You're better than that. It's something I've wanted to say out loud for a long time. I just hadn't thought about it. Uh, I did one of these on the podcast last week, the way to put the difference between billions and millions or a billion and a million in, in a, a, a better perspective. Here's another one that I found on TikTok. Okay, listen. People don't appreciate the difference between a million and a billion. Okay, I did the calculations myself. A million seconds accounts for about a week and a half. Okay, a billion seconds is 32 years long. That's crazy. Okay, let's let's put this into further context. Okay, if you want to be a millionaire, I can give you five thousand dollars a day for six months, and you'd be a millionaire. If I give you five thousand dollars a day. For 547 years, then you would be a billionaire. Now, I didn't do any math on that. Feel free to fact check it if you would like. But I did do specific calculator math to the first one he said. A million seconds is 11 days, 13 hours, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds. So as he mentioned, just about uh, a week and a half. A billion seconds is 32 years years years. years. And again, I didn't fact check it. If you want to, 
you go right ahead. Two coolest things. We'll wrap up the first segment. On TikTok, there was a trend, hashtag, no nuance November. So just jump on there and give your hard, hot takes, but give no real context or any kind of, uh, well, nuance. This is one I found that I thought was, uh, I thought was pretty good. As y'all know, I'm relatively new to TikTok. Apparently, there's a trend on TikTok called No Nuance November. Okay, give me one second. If you're far right leaning or far left leaning, do not talk to me about division. Politics divides us more than race ever would in this country. If the sentiment Black Lives Matter bothers you, you're a f***ing racist. Deal with it and move on. They wrote the words, all men were created equal. They were not referring to black people. Hell, they weren't even referring to women at that point. I now have over 80,000 followers. Thank you to all my friends and family. I love y'all. Good portion of my white people. And when I say things referring to white people, they don't feel offended because they know I'm referring to racist white people. All white people are not racist and evil. In fact, many of them are really f***ing good people with great hearts. And if you just take time to stop judging everybody, maybe you'll see that. Lastly, if you don't like my content or what I have to say, eat a thousand dicks and block me. Have a good day. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I beeped that out because I used it on the radio on Monday. If you don't like my content, eat a thousand dicks and see you later. Uh, I thought that was good. Final one here. This is uh, this is good. There's better ones out there, but I just happened to stumble on this one today. Uh, how to make an ACDC song. This is today's second coolest thing. First, heavy, simple, easy power chords. The drums is just a backbeat. For the vocals, you're just gonna wanna sing like you've been smoking cigs and taking shots of whiskey your whole life. Doesn't really matter what you say as long as you end on something coherent, like, something like that. Oh yeah, bass, you just play the root notes. Once you put it all together, this is what you get. There are better ones out there, and I'll play them for you at some point when I run back across them, but I ran across that one today. The Empires of New York and the Boom of Borrowing Money of the 80s is the subject matter of the next segment. It is the first Stone On Air podcast for the final month of 2020. My name is Brian Stone. I'll be right back. Now more Stone On Air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. It took four years and $300 million to build. And today is a day Donald Trump can celebrate with the opening of Trump Tower. You walk into it, and it has this huge marble atrium. It has this giant waterfall. And it makes you sort of feel in awe the way cathedrals do in Europe. And it's this monument to glittering wealth. Trump Tower was the epitome, right at that moment in time, of what it meant to be wealthy in the United States. Donald Trump was able to capture this moment where he defined luxury. Trump Tower got so much publicity. Trump Tower is a major draw for tourists, with apartments selling for up to $10 million. And in the middle of it was Donald Trump. Rewarded for his vision and praised for his ambition, the new titan of real estate had arrived, and image trumped all. The more he flaunted his wealth and status, the more the city revered him. It airs at 8 o'clock on CNBC, Empires of New York, when greed was good. Started this past week, and for the next two weeks, sure it'll be easily found on demand through Hulu or YouTube or wherever you get your television. I don't hate it. rich people. Not at all, but it is sometimes questionable as to how dangerous wealth corruption and the quote-unquote trickle-down effect can get. out the rest. Or Aerosmith from Get a Grip. Actually a pretty damn good album. 
Like 19, uh, what was that? 94, maybe? Last good album they released, I would say. But yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm for capitalism. I, there, there's no reason why there can't be uh, there can't be a lot of socialized aspects to our economy. It's proven to work. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on you know whether capitalism and socialism. I'm not. That's not what this the point of this uh, segment is. But we're well way too wealthy to allow so much poverty. In this country, and I, I, I do think there's a, a balance that could be there, and we can deep dive into that at another time if you'd like. But more specifically, uh, for this segment, I want to just sample some of this show. I st- I've been waiting on it for uh, months because they just shove it down your throat through uh, uh, promos while I watch uh, reruns of Shark Tank and then the money markets and all that kind of stuff on CNBC. And it was it, it didn't live up to the like the greatest documentary ever, but it was it was solid. It was I, I enjoyed it. And really, it's just it's highlighting the mess that was New York in the 1970s and and the boom of the entire country under Reaganomics, which I'll uh, give my thoughts on here in just a few minutes. And the uh, boom of New York City amongst uh, from five different perspectives. And I'll, I'll I'll read that to you in just a second. But first of all, I have to. Uh, just play this real quick because I just can't help myself. There, uh, it's it's narrated by Paul Giamatti, and you, if you don't know who he is, as soon as you saw him, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that guy, great actor, plays in a ton of different uh, kind of bit roles. Not really ever like the starring superstar of a movie or a t- television show, but he's a narrator of it. And if they didn't tell me, I wouldn't even recognize it because he's doing a real classic narration." Um, uh, voice. The guy's obviously got some really good skills with uh, as a voice actor, and it just got me. Rem- I just want to turn that off. It got me uh, remembering where I first knew Paul Giamatti from was Howard Stern's Private Parts. He was the station manager at WNBC, and I would be remiss to, to myself anyway if I didn't at least play a cut from that. The way we work here at NBC is a more professional manner than you're probably used to. Uh, now, see, I don't care about what you did down in Washington, because that's chicken radio. Here at NBC, this is real radio. And the first thing you've got to do is say the call letters properly. The way it's said properly is WNBC. This is key. Come on. WNBC. No, no. got to be more like this. <clears throat> Listen up. WNBC. You hear that kind of? So sorry, I had to throw that in there. So that dorky, weird voice is the narrator, and he does an excellent job. So speaking of the uh, Wall Street Journal, I saw this real quick earlier and printed it off, hoping that it was more of a... Uh, kind of a, a a review of the show itself. It was more about the prominent role players of the era that it focuses on for the six hours. So I'll just read the very beginning of this. Uh, speaking of the downtrodden areas of New York City in the 1970s, talking about the recovery into the 1980s, the recovery had occurred, according to filmmakers, thanks to the election of Ronald Reagan, who inspired enterprise and brought a new sense of life to the economy. So it's in the New York of the 1980s, prosperous, pulsating, with drive and deal-making of one kind or another, that these five renowned figures at the center of this six-part docuseries were shown making their marks on history. And those five characters are Ivan Boski, a uh, Wall Street stockbroker, never heard of him before, Don Trump, of course, John Gotti, I was at least familiar with him as a mob boss, uh, Leona Helmsley, I don't think I knew much about her. I've heard that name in the hotel uh, magnets of the world, but uh, I didn't realize to what level. And then, of course, Rudy Giuliani, who left a significant position in Washington as a lawmaker, as a as an, uh, an attorney, to become the uh, U.S. attorney in 1983 for the Southern District of New York. And some of these people's paths kind of cross-pollinate, I'm sure, as the story goes along. And what fascinates me a lot about it is I've done a lot of financial talk radio 
in my life for years. If you're a long timer, you you already know that with uh, Jim and Jamie from Evergreen Advisors, and um, for many years, and it's some of my favorite radio I've ever done, and it's one of my favorite t- uh, topics and subject matters to discuss because it's not very difficult to understand, and and as a culture, it's it's really disappointing because I was part of this this really really uh, ignorant culture that kind of we, we've just we allow people to believe that finances is hard and that compound interest is difficult and saving money and, and planning for retirement is some kind of something that is that the average American struggles with and that's just silly it's nonsense it's completely asinine now the act of doing it that's difficult right creating wealth creating a legacy, creating a plan of of financial freedom and executing, that is difficult. That is very, very hard to do. You have to be dedicated and you have to be motivated. But to understand how to do it, to comprehend the process is very, very simple. And the cop-out we've allowed everybody to have generation after generation after generation is, oh, well, shucks, no one does it all that good. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that mentality has ruined generations of people in this country and I would say across around the world. Don't care about the world as much as I care about, you know, us. And it's, it's, it's frustrating and I spent hours and weeks and months in the early uh, portion of the last decade researching and reading and realizing and understanding and hosting shows and producing shows and vignettes and features and saying, this is not difficult. This is so freaking simple to understand. It's just the execution that is the difficult part. And so I kind of set out this project to do several different radio shows you know, going on a decade ago, seven, eight years ago, of when did this all start? What, how do we get to this point? How do we get to where we have to, everybody has a car loan. How do we get to the point where we finance the refrigerator? Like, cause that, that wasn't a thing in 1950. All right. There, I'm sure there was some, there was loans and there was banking, but if you needed a refrigerator, you bought a damn refrigerator. Where did this shift in this culture happen? And it was 1980. It was 1980. The boom of the eighties. The boom of Reaganomics was borrowing money. All walks of life, all socioeconomical classes, rich, middle class, and then eventually as they continue to get more and more predatory, the poor. Everybody borrows money, and in 1971, that wasn't a thing. In 1981, it was starting to become a thing. American Express comes to, uh, to, to the forefront around that time. Visa's already been around. They're getting bigger. MasterCard, getting credit cards, credit, financing your life, all became a thing. Shopping malls started popping up. The, the you know, Shopping as a pastime became a thing. Ronald Reagan did a lot of good things as a president. The trickle-down effect, I think it worked at first. I don't think at all it works anymore. Reaganomics is, a I think, an awful economic system, as I believe the 80s eventually kind of uh, proved it out to be with a lot, with the economic downturn at the end of the decade. And then the tech boom into the 90s, the housing market started to pick up, the, the lull in the economy picked back up into the 90s, then we have the terrorist attack of the turn of the century, then adding uh, huge amounts of numbers to the debt with uh, multiple wars and a sluggish economy into the first decade of the new century, and then the housing bubble that we all know, and then now we're on our way towards the student loan bubble that will be the next thing to wreck our economy. So that's really where it started was the 1980s. So that was as much reason why I was really looking forward to watching this special docu-series. And a lot of it in here does talk about Trump and is he actually as wealthy as he says he is? Has he ever been as wealthy as he says he is? Because just like everybody else, according to this film, these filmmakers, he was borrowing money at an alarming rate as well at the time. But he was doing amazing things with that money that he was spending. I'm going to play a few clips from the uh, first, I don't know half hour or so of the show and then wrap up this segment and then talk about the movie that I watched uh, the day before that this past weekend. 
This is just a continuation of the open that you heard on the rejoin just about 10 minutes or 12 minutes ago. As long as this building stands, there will probably be some who refer to Trump Tower as the house that tax abatements built. That's kind of a ground floor look at this building. If you look a little bit higher, you'll see another story. A story of entrepreneurial vision, huge capital investment, and sheer guts. He made his reputation on this, helping Donald create a mythology around himself. I always like going first class. Trump Tower is the ultimate in first class, and that's why it's been successful. Everything was class in. This is very high class, and this one has class, and that one has class, and, you know, this looks like class. It was a big deal to him. He had class on the brain. I'm going to move pretty quick through a lot of these. This is uh, just another example of, I guess, I guess we already knew this, Don Trump has been self-aggrandizing uh, his whole life, at least since the 1980s. Donald Trump created the aura that he was a premier developer, the best deal maker, the best builder, the best at anything that he touched. People come up to me and they say, oh, Donald, you're so lucky. Everything just falls into place for you. And it's not that way at all. You have to make it fall in place. The world now saw him as a tycoon. And that image would become his biggest bargaining chip as he embarked on his next great venture. And so that's Paul Giamatti right there, the same dude who did the WNBC just a little bit earlier. It's also in the 1980s that Trump got into the gambling business with the Trump Plaza. The man who at the age of 39 is not content with being New York City's latest real estate billionaire. Donald Trump has also ventured into gambling. Money. I mean, money is what appealed to Donald Trump when it came to the casino industry. I think he saw an opportunity for vast amounts of cash to be generated. Profits were just unbelievable. And Donald Trump took a look at that and said, I want in. Trump Plaza became really the most successful property in Atlantic City. Here we are. Donald was going down there on his helicopter. He would offer rides to big spenders. Trump Plaza wasn't enough. He then went on to buy Trump Castle. And just like everybody else in the 1980s, whether you're rich or poor or in between, everybody was spending through finances and credit lines. And then he turns around and buys another casino. Donald Trump got his second casino, Trump Castle, for $320 million. Donald Trump did not set foot in the castle before he purchased it. It was a very quick transaction. The Trump Castle opened with great fanfare because it was Donald Trump. But everything that Donald Trump did at these casinos, he financed through debt. And all the debt added up eventually at the castle and at the plaza. However, the banks, you know, had bought in at that point to Trump. Despite the growing level of debt, Wall Street was willing to give him whatever he wanted. He could spend money without consequence. From the USFL to Mar-a-Lago, where he still has a residency in Florida, as we all know, he's buying, 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 and he's financing every bit of it. When banks kept lending him money, there was nothing in his way. He was going to do exactly what he wanted for as long as he could get away with it. Pretty soon, Donald Trump goes on this incredible spending spree. He bought the New Jersey Generals. Way to go, fellas. He buys Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He also bought a huge development site, the rail yards on the west side. This will be one of the great jobs of all time. As he's developing this empire, he's borrowing more and more money at higher and higher interest rates. You're talking about a huge amount of debt. The final one I got for you here, 30 seconds long. Don Trump really is, he embodies American culture, especially in the 1980s as they were a completely free-spending decade, but you can pretty much say that about most portions of most decades since the 1980s. And aiding him in this is this whole cultural change where we started judging people by the content of their wallet, or in Donald's case, the claimed content of their wallet. In many respects, Donald Trump was the poster boy for the 1980s. A lot of people just didn't look below the surface. 
He was able to live on that image for a very long time. The minute something starts to go wrong, the entire house of cards was going to start to fall down. And clearly there's some bias in a lot of these filmmakers as far as the narrative of is Don Trump even nearly as wealthy as he has always says he is? Uh, you know, the, the the tax return thing. I don't really care about any of that. I just find it fascinating how that decade came together and how basically every minute of my life has culminated into the mess that we have now financially, though in some ways, depending on how markets and money gets moved, we're doing very well in a lot of ways. The dot, the, the the Dow was back screaming again. We we're at thirty thousand the other day. I'm making money right now on the stock in my in my stocks in my IRA, and I'm not even contributing to it right now. I halted my con- contributions in March, and I just because I'm just stupid and busy, I haven't got around to re uh, redepositing into that account. But it's still making money, and I believe in the stock market, and I believe in in American finance because I understand. American finance, and, I, and I'm not going to act like I'm some kind of broker Wall Street guy, because I'm sur- sure as hell not that. But I understand the basic understanding of how that works, and I do believe in it. But it doesn't mean that the economy is good, and it doesn't mean that there isn't terrible, terrible poverty and um, and, a, and a huge uh, a bubbles that are still left to burst that will eventually burst, and then those things will affect my IRA and your 401k and her savings and their profit sharing, it will happen. It's not when, it's will. All right, I'm going to get out of here. I watched the McDonald's movie. I don't even know why. Well, I know how I stumbled into it. I'll get to it next. Back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com Now, I know what you're thinking. How the heck does a 52-year-old, over-the-hill, milkshake machine salesman build a fast food empire with 1,600 restaurants in 50 states, five foreign countries, with an annual revenue of in the neighborhood of $700 million? One word. Nothing in this world can take the place of good old persistence. Talent won't. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius won't. Unrecognized genius is practically a cliche. Education won't. Why, the world is full of educated fools. Persistence and determination alone are all powerful. That is towards the tail end, maybe the very end of the movie The Founder, Michael Keaton playing the role of Ray Kroc. Come back to some of those words he just said here in just a minute. This is brand new, Strung Like a Horse. Released a video for it too, very fine work. I am happy to say that these are not just acquaintances of mine. They are very good friends of mine. They're going places. The song's called Crazy Like Me. record is called whoa debuted at number two on the billboard bluegrass charts i'm full transparency i don't know how difficult that is to do i mean it's still the billboard and that's still an accomplishment i don't know how much uh, surely the the record label is what pushed that to make that possible but it's also it's a very good record front to back uh, one or two really good gems, and then and then the rest of it is is very solid, which is very true with most good records, regardless of what genre you are talking about. But 
Enough about that for now. I'm going to make this segment shorter, I think. <laughs> we'll see. I do need to wrap this up and start working on tomorrow and get my dumb ass to bed. So, um, in it, it's it's fascinating to me. I'm about to say it's funny. I get sick of saying that all the time. It's not funny at all. It's fascinating to me things that you remember in your life, memories that don't necessarily have any significant meaning. And I think we all, surely we all do this. I don't, I don't know. I don't haven't taken a poll, but I, I have regular memories of things throughout my life that for some reason they just got burned into my, into my memory bank. And I don't really know exactly why. I've never talked to my dad about this or anybody else in the family. And it might've been something I just kind of cooked up on my own, but at some point I, I, I have a memory somewhat vividly of being in a McDonald's in um, in the Chicago land area, and there was a um, a like almost like a busk. It wasn't a busk. It's like a plaque, you know, kind of carved into a plaque. Like you'd almost see it, like the Baseball Hall of Fame of Ray Kroc. And then below it, or above it, or next to it, there was also the Ray Kroc Creed, and the you know the motto of the business. And then it had the accomplishments underneath it, something along those lines. And I have some kind of memory of my grandfather at least one time, but maybe more than a couple of times, who's from Chicago. I have a lot of family members from Chicago. So we went there for a 10-year stretch damn near every year, uh, quite a bit, from the ages of my, that I can remember, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. It probably stopped around then. And I just have this memory of my grandfather holding Ray Crockett in really high esteem. And maybe I kind of created that memory more than it actually was. And maybe just one time he told me the story of Ray Crockett. And it, now I'm thinking that he was some kind of inspiration to my grandfather, who was one of my favorite family members in my, in my world. And it's not even really a close second. Like, he's such an incredible man. He's been uh, gone now for 10 years. But he, is, he, he rose as a young man out of the, uh, the Great Depression and was an entrepreneur, and he owned land, uh, rental properties. He did uh, painting and remodeling, a very uh, low-educated man. And so I, I'm guessing that somebody like Ray Kroc, I'm guessing they probably would be comparable in age. Ray Kroc might have been a little bit older than he was at the time. And um, so whether that's true or not, in my specific family story or anecdote, if it even is one, surely that's the case in so many places of the greatest generation because the, the the McDonald's franchise took off in the Midwest. It didn't start in the Midwest, but Ray Kroc led people to believe that it did. So let me back up a little bit here real quick. So Friday night, I'm just sitting around. I'm, I'm thumbing through Netflix because I haven't looked at it in a while. And I, uh, and I don't look at it almost ever, really. I just, I'm kind of a Hulu guy. And it said suggestions for you, and it was the movie The Founder. And I, I'm somewhat familiar with the McDonald's story, and I am, I am very uh, fascinated by all American brands: Coca-Cola, Miller High Life, Budweiser, uh, PBR, uh, even Crystal. You know, from our area here in the South, these food and beverage and uh, cars and signage and advertising. All that stuff fascinates me, and the the trajectory into their, at, if it goes that far, global status. So I I was familiar with the 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 origins, but I couldn't remember it that well. And I was like, well, what the hell? It's two hours, which is too damn long. But I'll I'll throw it on and I'll watch it. And started off good, and real quick, I'll yada. I'm gonna have to yada yada over the good parts. I got a text message out of nowhere from somebody that I absolutely had to drop what I was doing to go see right that moment, and then yada, 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 I get home the next day. (laughs) Sorry, I just leave you in suspense on that. Um, If you want the details, shoot me a text. So I come back the next day and laying around on a Saturday, and I finish it. And while I didn't love it as a movie, I would have adored it as a six-hour miniseries documentary style. I would have adored it as a 10-hour miniseries. It's such an interesting story. As a two-hour movie, it annoyed me a little bit, but it was still well done for the most part. But I want to play you one clip here from the movie. This is early on 
he's struggling. He's a salesman. Ray Kroc is uh, several different things in the restaurant industry, but at this point, it's uh, uh, milkshake mixers. And he's talking to his wife. He's on the phone with her, and he's and he's clearly kind of down. He's not sales aren't working like he wants. He's on the road, and he's talking big game to her. Oh, I got a lot of interest today, hon, and everything's going great. I think I got some orders coming. It's all bullshit. And he goes over to the record player and puts on a motivational speaking record at, while he's making a drink. And this is what that that segment of the movie sounds like. It's off in the background. I had to jack up the audio a little bit because it's not meant to be heard super clear. But I have a specific point I'm going to make about it, and I'll talk about it on the other side. can take the place of persistence. Talent won't. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius won't. Unrewarded genius is practically a cliche. Education won't. The world is full of educated fools. Persistence and determination alone are all powerful. Show that you don't have to be defeated by anything. That you can have peace of mind, improved health, and a never-ceasing flow of energy if you attempt each and every day to achieve... Okay, so this is like a motivational record he's listening to in 1950 three or 1954 or something like that and if that sounds familiar to you at all it's because it's what you just heard michael keaton playing ray Kroc say somewhat those words at the end of the movie where he was speaking to an audience about you know in a, in a banquet room kind of style and what he did was is take a speech and basically plagiarize something he heard in a motivation on a motivational record and recreate it as his own. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's exactly factual because it's a movie, but that's the way they portrayed it. I didn't catch it until I put together this segment. I thought that was very clever from a, a filmmaking standpoint. Again, not sure if it, it was true or not, but it was a microcosm of what kind of guy Ray Kroc was. He was somebody who was going to take advantage of the situation that he had and exploit it if he could. There's there's lying and then there's allowing people to believe things that are not true. They're both deception, but they're both very different things. And in my life, I have regularly found myself, I could think back and think of memories where I allowed people to think something that wasn't true in order to benefit from it. Not not purposely manipulated the situation, not purposely told falsehoods to create a fake reality. But there have been many times where I knew that certain people involved in the situation, whether it was business-related or just relationship-related, socially related, where it was better for me if those people over there were believing what they what they believe based on the information that they compiled for themselves. And I think I justify that by trying to be an authentic person. I think I justify that by saying I am not, I, it's not my responsibility to make sure you get all the right information, the correct information. If you're off and you're messed up and your head's not in the right place, that's your problem. But I'll take the benefit if I can. Now, I'd like to say that I wouldn't exploit somebody to their detriment if I knew that their information was flawed and I just, that's one of those, it's tough to put myself in a, in a hypothetical situation. I say all that to say that's what Ray Kroc was doing most of his life until he finally made it work with McDonald's. He saw this company in Southern California with these two brothers that had a couple different stores, but really only one in particular that was the cash cow and this new this new way of serving food, a system of speed that rivals, obviously, a completely different industry and different product, but the uh, the Ford assembly line from uh, several decades before. And if you want all the details, if you don't know them already, it's a quick Google search. You can do a pretty quick read to, to see the entire timeline. But he gets to California to sell the, the milkshake mixers, and he's fascinated with the process. He befriends the brothers. 
Then he's able to work his way into as a partnership as the head of franchising. And he started in the Midwest. It wasn't in Chicago, but it was somewhat in the neighborhood of the Chicago land area and went from there and didn't like the original deal they made because it started to take off. And he wasn't happy with the percentages and all all that all that back and forth stuff that you might expect. He then started the McDonald's Corporation, which through loopholes of the laws and and gray areas in the legal system, he he started a company of franchising under the McDonald's Corporation, calling himself the founder of McDonald's when he was just the founder of the McDonald's Corporation. And especially at a time where information doesn't travel very fast, it didn't really take all that long after the franchises started ex- popping up all over the Midwest and then moving more east and, and west that Ray Kroc became just looked at and known as the founder of McDonald's, as the name of the movie is called The Founder. His business card would say Ray Kroc on it, The Founder again, of the corporation for the franchisees, not of the system of making food or the food itself or the name. That's still the McDonald brothers. And it just crushes what they're doing out in California. Eventually, they come to a settlement. They get a couple of million dollars out of the deal, which in 1960 is nothing to sneeze at. But when you have a global brand bringing in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year, a couple million in 1960 doesn't look all that good anymore. It wasn't long after that that the brothers had to take the McDonald's name off the original location in Southern California that was their cash cow. I think they called it the Big M. And asshole Ray Kroc puts a brand new state-of-the-art Golden Arches McDonald's newer look, redesigned concept right across the street from them and puts them out of business in no time. So Ray Kroc was persistent, as he says with the words he stole from the motivational speaking record. He was shrewd. He was talented. He was smart. He was he worked hard. He had his eye on the prize, and he would stop at nothing to, to make the American dream happen, no matter who was left in his wake. Another example of how I kind of mentioned in the beginning of where capitalism is great, except for sometimes it, it crushes people. It crushes people's dreams and ruins other people's lives. Uh, you know, hey, tough shit, I guess, right? But Ray Kroc really maximized on the idea of letting people believe things that aren't necessarily true and then benefiting from them. From the speech that included basically plagiarized lines from the motivational speaking record to letting the country believe that he was the founder of McDonald's when that's not the case whatsoever. And that's all I got for you today. You'll have a great week. I will take a couple of weeks off from the podcast for sure. At the end of December, I've got a couple of weeks, not in a row, but I've got, I I ranged it pretty well. I've got a a good amount of time off for the second half of December, and I want to utilize that as much as possible and recharge. I don't do... um, I don't do New Year's resolutions, but I I do New Year uh, adjustments every single year. So I will start be thinking about some new things, some new ideas, and some new regiments. Uh, it's been it's been wild, but I mean I'm not telling you anything you didn't already know, and I'm not trying to take away from anybody else's disastrous year. We're all in it together, which I'm kind of sick of hearing. It's kind of like it is what it is. Shut up already! I don't want to hear that anymore. But so I'll do a show. I would say for sure next week. And I'll, I'll think about it between now and then. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. I don't know why you do it, but I love you for it. Take care. We'll do it again soon. Later. Bye.
And I know that 